Welcome to NDTR Spotlight. I'm your host, Marie Lorraine. Today we have a different video. I don't have an interview, but I did want to take this time to talk a little bit more specifically about what a DTR can do without an RD present. A lot of times when we talk about DTRs, there's an understanding that an RD needs to be present in order for that DTR to carry out the functions that they're doing just to have supervision and someone with a wider scope of practice. However, there are 11 questions that were published by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics that a DTR can ask themselves. And if they can answer these questions confidently, they can be more empowered to work without a dietitian present. And so these resources, I will link them down below, and they will also be available on our website on NDTR Spotlight slash resources. And these are all from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So I'm going to be reading them word for word. So this is just kind of to expose you to the material that's out there, kind of talk you through it a little bit, or you can just click those links and read yourself, but something to be definitely aware about. So the chart on that I am referencing, it is how do the title is how do an RD, how, the title is, excuse me, how do NDTRs know whether they can work independently from an RDN? And so there's 11 questions here. And if you can answer them again, as I said, you can be confident that you can work without an RDN. And the first one is with the education and training to perform the activity, am I actually competent? And there's another one tied to that number one question is, has my competence been evaluated and documented in my personal file? So this kind of goes to the point to how much do you know? And are you, are you, do you feel confident in being able to perform whatever type of nutrition care you are providing? And what night, what's nice about this is this really DTRs range from all different levels of education. You can be a DTR with an associate's degree, um, with a bachelor's degree, or even a master's degree. And also just level of experience. When you graduate from an associate's or bachelor's, program and you have your, you get the DTR, you, your experience is not going to be the same as a DTR working for like 10 years in a community setting or in a clinical setting. You'd feel more confident after 10 years in doing a different type of activity and a really great person to look at for this is Sammy. I interviewed her last season and she works in clinical nutrition and she's been working for a little bit now and she's become a lot more confident with performing certain clinical aspects. And so I would give it a look out to that interview if you're curious as to how your confidence can build as you continue to practice in the field as an NDTR. All right, question number two is, does my level of academic preparation plus any additional continuing education give me the basis to engage in the activity desired safely and ethically? So this kind of hand in hand goes with the last two questions we're talking about what level of academic education you have. So the bachelor's, master's, doctorate degree, if you want to keep going. Um, and then also continual education. So as a DTR, you do have to perform certain levels of continuing education. And so what are those in? Are you focusing on community nutrition? Are you focused on clinical nutrition? Are you doing food service? You don't want to say, I have all this continuing education in motivational interviewing and then be asked to do teach a therapeutic diet in a hospital. Those are two very different things. Well, I guess you could use motivational interviewing to help teach a diet, but where's your scope of practice lie? Like, what do you feel confident in? So really the trend here for these first three 
these first three questions that the academy is putting out asking NTTRs to answer is, are you confident? Then number four is, excuse me, number three, does the license, if applicable or credentials I hold, permit me to perform this activity or service. So this is kind of when credentialing comes into play. And what are you able to do as a DTR? So you really have to understand the scope of practice as a DTR. And I will make another video talking more in depth about that in the future. There's a lot to talk about. So I want to keep these videos somewhat short or these podcasts somewhat short for you, but really understanding what you can do in your scope. And that kind of bleeds into this next question is, do I need any additional sort of credentials, certifications, to perform the activity. So if you want to do something and you don't have the right credential, can you get that credential? So for some people that might be, I need to go get the RD credential now, or it could be something like you need a personal trainer credential or a life coaching credential. There's other ways that you can expand your scope of practice without going the RD in route. And then the last question in this kind of category of thinking about credentialing and expanding your scope of practice with an additional credential is do I possess and have the proper documentation of the knowledge, skills, credentials, specialized training, and relevant continuing education required to perform the desired activity? So really thinking about those credentials. And we have had a few DTRs on this podcast talking about how their extra credentials have helped them in the field of nutrition and dietetics with that DTR credential. And just to point out some, we have Sonia Love. She also has her life coaching credential and that has really helped her expand her private practice and to be able to do more. Lauren also has her um, coaching credential that you can look up and watch her interview. Courtney, she has plenty of credentials after her name. She's CN. S and S and F A N D. I'm not exactly sure what they mean at this moment, but she also has her MBA. So she has really expanded her scope. If you look at the end of her name, it's just credential after credential after credential. She has a very fulfilling career in food service. So definitely check out that interview if you're interested in any of those things. And also Dre, she has nutrition coaching credential and a master's in public health, as well as her DTR credential. And she has found a very good job working as a, as a health coach. And that DTR credential that she has, she has found it valuable to keep um, on and be able to do more nutrition coaching with her clients. So another interview to watch. If you're interested in how you can expand your scope of practice and how other DTRs have expanded their scope of practice to be able to do more in their field, in the field of nutrition and have the proper skills and documentation. So you might have the skills, but you have to be able to prove it on paper that you have, you have the right credentialing, you've done the continual education classes. You want proof that you know what you're doing and degrees and credentials are proof that you know what you're doing as well as hopefully good testimonies of the clients you work with. And so this chart was also in the article that I'm referring to and it just has some credentials here. So if you're listening, I will quickly read some off. It's ACE certified lifestyle and weight management coach, a health care life coach certified, a certified international health coach, certified health coach. It's a very popular one. National board certified health and wellness coach, certified health and wellness coach, certified personal coach. Um, also personal trainer is one certified personal trainer is one that is very popular to, uh, for DTRs to take hold of. If you want to work with something with fitness, that's a perfect, perfect, um, fit for DTR and fitness. 
And so moving on. So next is, do I understand the meaning of individual scope of practice? So this one is probably one of the most important ones on this, on this chart, because you really just have to know what your scope of practice is. And with that, you need to be able to know when to refer out. And I think sometimes you can think, I have to refer out. I don't know enough, but that's not a bad thing. We live in a metal, we live in a world where the medical field is so specialized now, which is a good thing. So if you go to your doctor and you have a heart problem, you can be referred to a cardiologist who knows more about that heart and can better treat the heart more specifically because there's there's so much knowledge. It's hard for one person to know everything, right? So if you're a DTR and you are really good at this one thing, maybe really good at motivational interviewing, really good at, at weight loss management or weight management but someone comes and they have diabetes and they need a therapeutic diet and they need um, their and really deep dietary counseling that change labs and stuff, you might have to refer out because um, therapeutic counseling is outside of the scope of practice for DTRs. Okay, so then we have, does the state where I work have a practice act for NDTRs? So this is when you have to do maybe a little less self-reflection and more research in the documentation that the Academy has put out for DTRs. And I have a link here that takes you to, to the licensure statutes and information by state. And that link is down below if you need it. And that's also linked on our website. And it's a beautiful map of America. And if you click on any state, I'm going to click Missouri. That's where I went for my graduate program. So I'm very familiar with that state. And when I was looking at this website, which is pr.mo.gov, so I know I'm in Missouri, I could not find anything on DTR. So I was a little frustrated initially, but that's kind of how DTRs are treated, which we're changing that one interview at a time, I'm hoping. But I went to frequently asked questions and I did a quick search for DTRs and a beautiful chart came up and it was very clear cut and it was just so simple to read. And it's the following, the title of it, the following are selected guidelines for scope of practice in clinical nutrition settings. And clinical is really where you have to really be careful about the line of crossing over to a dietitian's territory. It's very easy to, to do that. Whereas in community and food service, it's a lot, you can do a lot more because there's not that like clinical aspects of it. You might have to refer out for expertise from a dietitian, but again, that goes with how much education and the other questions that we were answering before. And so for Missouri, and I say this is for Missouri because it is on the Missouri website, although in the document, it doesn't say it's in Missouri. So I don't know, do some research on your own state and find out, but it's very clear. It says what you can, it says yes for things that DTR can do and no for things that DTR can't do. And there's little asterisks, asterisks for what our DTR can do with the guidance of an RD. So very helpful chart. And for those listening, for instance, counseling, therapeutic nutrition counseling, you cannot do as a DTR in the state of Missouri. And I'm pretty sure that's for the whole, the whole country. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. Let me know. I'm learning along with you guys and documentation for therapeutic assessments. But it's cool to know that counseling, general nutrition counseling, a DTR can do in the state of Missouri, which that's a lot. Most people who are doing preventative, preventative health care, I would say just need generalized nutrition counseling, right? Um, they just need to know how to eat. They just want their meal plans. They just want to know what's healthy. They don't need to do all the therapeutic, the, um, therapeutic nutrition. All right. So 
I hope that chart is helpful for you. I think it's very helpful for me. So definitely take some time, look up those documents, print things out, read them, highlight them, do what you need to do to understand what you can do in your state as an NDTR. And then we have, does this work overlap into other professions scope of practice, including RDNs, registered dietitians, if applicable? So this is a good way to know if you're going over your scope of practice. This is a very fast way. I'm like, is this something that someone else can do? And is that person better trained to do it than I am or more competent in than I am? And that's a good way to think about, do I need to refer somebody out? Just thinking, can someone else do this? And are they more qualified? And if they are more qualified and they probably would do a better job, that's the time to refer them out. And we had really good conversations about referring patients out with two of our interviews last season with Irene and Sonia. They both have private practices and we spent a little bit a little bit of time, especially with Sonia talking about what she does when she has a client that she feels that she needs help with or she feels that she cannot, she feels like she's at a spot where someone else they can benefit from talking to somebody else. So if you want to see or hear kind of someone who actually have been through that and how they handle it, check out Sonia's interview. It's more towards the end if you are breezing through it. And then we have, are there any federal or state laws or regulations that impact my ability to perform this activity? So again, that's just reading up on your state. There's 50 states, so I cannot do all 50. Um, so just know what state you're doing and do your research for that. And then we have, have I investigated my organization's policies, procedures, job description, and applicable practice guidelines? So this is nice. If you're working for, um, if you're working on a job, like hospital or community setting like WIC or something, they usually have everything kind of labeled out pretty clearly. And if you're working in that setting, you might have a dietitian on staff there that can kind of help you through things. Organizations that come to mind, Project Angel Heart is one. And we recently had Aaron, Aaron works for Project Angel Heart and he's a DTR there and works alongside dietitians. So the job description there is very clear for him and he explains what a DTR does there. Um, and just knowing what, what guidelines you're there. WIC also, some WICs allow DTRs to see most patients and other WICs have more of a um, more strict policy on who what DTRs can see. And that again, also can depend, can depend on that DTR scope of practice. Are they coming in with a bachelor's degree? Are they coming with a master's degree? Are they coming with associate's degree with a lot of experience, things of that nature. And then do I need personal liability insurance policy to address malpractice and professional liabilities for services I wish to perform? So this one is again, research. And this is really for private practice, I think, mostly. And so two interviews, I will always refer for private practice until I find some more DTRs who are running a private practice is Irene and Sonia. And they talk about going through getting that LLC for their business in a little bit of detail, not very, not very much in depth, but it is a good place to start. If you wanted to see an example of someone running their own business as an DTR doing nutrition counseling, which is in their scope of practice for a DTR. So I hope that that is helpful and kind of just gives you an idea. Definitely take a look at that 
chart, read through it, and the whole article, print it out, read through it. And I hope this video was helpful for you. Make sure you give it a like, hit that subscribe button, and hopefully next week I will come to you with another interview from a DTR. I have a lot of people in the queue that I'm just waiting to schedule in and have some time to sit down, talk with them, and hear their story about being an DTR. Thank you so much for watching. I hope with every video we put out that we are improving or um, bringing awareness to this profession and encouraging current DTRs, future and former NDTRs. We will see you in our next episode.